0: The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen centric government? for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy.
1: And welcome to this last day of the 4th of July sales. Literally everything is on sale. Even, ironically, diet plans. 50% off just this weekend. And also, I hope we can spend some time together in the next hour when you're not distracted by the finals of the Women's World Cup soccer match. Um, in which the USA is contending for, I think it's its fourth or fifth World Cup title, um, and the score at halftime, 0-0. So maybe we can split screen here. I hope everyone had a fabulous fourth. um, When you weren't out stimulating the uh, American economy, Um, hot dogs and hamburgers and kids running around screaming with sparklers, um, kind of traditional. Um, My family had a very traditional fourth. Kids went swimming, and we barbecued with friends, and then we went and watched the San Jose fireworks, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful show. Um, But, wow, it was freezing out there. What happened to the summer of of the... Valley of the Heart's Delight again this morning. It's bone-chilling out there, but... uh, Hey, don't
2: forget uh, the pride of Silicon Valley. Joey Jaws Chestnut.
1: Again.
2: Won for the 12th time in the hot dog eating contest. 71 hot dogs.
1: And they were kosher, too.
2: Yeah, Nathan's Hot Dogs. Yeah,
1: Nathan's Hot Dogs. You can get them at your favorite grocery store but, I don't suggest eating seventy one of them it's um well maybe
2: maybe not in ten minutes, but
1: maybe maybe over a lifetime you could maybe eat 71. over 10, ten days ten days seven a day oh yeah, I could do that oh well, but see, I think a hot dog's not a hot dog if you don't put mustard and and diced tomatoes and a few other things on it.
2: Diced tomatoes, diced
1: tomatoes with little green, you know, with little scallions, mustard. It gives a hot dog a whole new description.
2: I like the uh, street vendors that wrap them in bacon. Those are my favorite.
1: Yeah, it's
2: not and kosher, but not uh, kosher, but uh, but I enjoy. Well, those. you could
1: use turkey bacon.
2: There you go, then turkey bacon. That tastes just just as good.
1: They would be kosher, and it would wrap more easily. Anyway, and last but not least, um, when I, after I got home from the fireworks to thaw out, I watched the fireworks from New York where it was 80 degrees and, uh, and 90% humidity. But wow, Macy's, it takes six months to set up that show. Uh, and it was really remarkable. So seeing those live and in living colors on my bucket list. So what did you do, Vince? What did, how was your 4th of July? It
2: was great. I watched Joey Chestnut uh, ride to victory.
1: Seriously?
2: Yeah. I actually met Joey Chestnut. He's from San Jose. I I've, know he I've is. I've met him before. Yeah, he's a good guy. It's amaz- right. an amazing run he's on now.
1: Crazy. Yes. And he isn't even fat. That's the interesting part.
2: Oh, no. He trains. These people train. They're, they're athletes.
1: That's it- taking it too far.
2: Oh, no, no, they train hardcore. The guy that he unseated, the the Japanese guy, he was in great shape. He trained hard. Yeah, these guys, like, Joey Chestnut's not fat. He's just big. He's a big guy, and, uh, you know, he's got it down. Usually the fat people are the ones that, that, that lose in these contests.
1: I don't understand it, but... You know, to each his own, and the guy makes a really good living doing it. So what can you say? The land of the free. And on a more sober note, uh, the 4th of July certainly shook up Southern California. 6.4 earthquake on the 4th of July and a 7.1 earthquake, not an aftershock, another earthquake on Friday. It happened in the high desert of Eastern Kern and San Bernardino Counties. How severe was it? Well, China Lake Naval Air Station is in Ventura County. It's north of there by probably 80, 90 miles. And it's now officially out of commission. Um, Every swimming pool in greater Los Angeles was lapping water out of the pool. And if you're going to church this morning, and even if you're not going to church this morning, we all need to say a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a miracle and a blessing that the quake took place in the lightly populated portion of the state where homes are all single story. Because this quake was more powerful, if many of you will remember, Uh, The Northridge quake of 1994, I certainly remember images of buildings that were, apartment buildings that were collapsed and cars that were underneath those collapsed buildings. Um, But that earthquake, a 6.7 on the Richter scale, so considerably smaller than Friday's quake, killed 57 people and injured more than 8,000 So while there were no fatalities, knock on wood, in the Kern County uh, episode this week, uh, there is over a billion dollars in property damage. So as Governor Newsom said yesterday, this quake is a reminder. It's a warning that all of us live in earthquake country, and we need to be prepared Earthquakes, we're overdue here in the Bay Area, especially here on the eastern side of the Bay where we're um, closer to the Hayward Fault. And um, there have been a number of studies of what the extent of a damage that a 7.1 or bigger earthquake could do. So if you want to know more about earthquake risk and earthquake rep- preparedness in this area go to reimagine america and do a search on earthquakes we've done um, some programming here at reimagine america radio and we've also written about the subject um, in the past so again go to reimagineamerica.org and do a search on earthquake or earthquakes and that will give you some more information
2: another thing you can do move out of california I think we should use these earthquakes as propaganda to scare more people away. Like we should go on social media and 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 pretend like we're falling into cracks in the that are opening up in the earth.
1: Well, if you looked at Twitter in the aftermath of the earthquake, you saw some of that already. But uh, I think there's been enough TV coverage of the degree of. Devastation and how devastated people are—that um, uh, it may give some people pause to come, either um, either as tourists or or to become residents. Uh, Disneyland actually evacuated uh, on Friday night. They closed down everything at eight thirty and evacuated the park as a precaution. So. Um, you know, seriously, uh, in the high-density population parts of California, the risk of major earthquake is significant. And you, as an individual listener, you need to be prepared. So, again, reimagineamerica.org, do a search on earthquake or earthquakes, and you'll find some more information but you should also do a Google search on earthquake preparedness kits. You and your family need to have an um, emergency supply of water and dried food, including your pets, and you also need, and you have to refresh it periodically, and, and you also need to have things like a meet-up spot, an evacuation plan, just in case the big one hits. And we'll be back in just a moment with some more uplifting conversation.
0: You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy.
1: And we're back with some more facts, figures, and fun. Um, as I said, we had a very traditional Fourth of July, and so I can honestly say that until I, you know, was thawing out watching uh, everybody sweating in New York during the fireworks, um, I hadn't watched any television. So the next morning, I was really um, surprised. Uh, by the clips that were exerted from President Trump's uh speech. This is the first time that a US President has made himself the center of what is um traditionally a family and community based holiday that celebrates um you know life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness at, at a at the individual level with bonfires and illuminations. But President Trump changed it up a little bit this year, and there are some memorable moments like this.
0: The Continental Army suffered a bitter winter of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our Army manned the airport, it ran the ramparts, it took over the airports, it did everything it had to do, and at Fort McHenry, under the rocket's red glare, it had nothing but victory. And when dawn came, their star-spangled banner waved defiant.
2: Nice uh, applause line there. That was like a borderline golf clap.
1: You know, I know we don't teach history anymore within any sort of contextual framework. But the president always tells us what a wonderful education he got, but it doesn't seem to include even a basic review of chronological, forget text, contextual history.
2: Quick update. <laughs> United States women just scored.
1: Yay!
2: one nothing U.S. over the Netherlands in the second half, early in the second half. Okay. Penalty kick.
1: Okay, I, I'm I'm not going to cross my fingers because I know that would jinx it. So keep us updated. You know, if you read the speech a couple of times before you delivered it, even if the the prompter went out in the rain, uh, you know, you'd get the you'd get the basics at least chronologically correct, at least within the current half century because i know the kids were watching and you all know that undergraduate i'm a history major so let's take just a moment to get it straight so that we you know the, we don't confuse anyone washington's christmas night sneak attack on trenton new jersey occurred in december 1776 and it was a desperate attempt to raise the morale of his flagging army. They'd experienced a series of defeats. Um, and here here was an opportunity to um, cross the Delaware under stealth of night. One of the things that helped to win the Revolutionary War was that the, the colonials, you know, the Revolutionary Army, Um, All of them had fought in or most of them had fought in the French and Indian War and they understood the tactics that the American Indians used in battle and they used them very effectively against these highly regimented uh, formations of European armies of that day. If you've seen a movie how they march in in a square and the first line falls and the second line keeps coming and so on and so forth. American armies have never fought that way. So um, Washington crosses the Delaware on Christmas Eve, and he attacks a group of Hessian mercenaries. These were um, German soldiers who were mercenaries selling their services to the British government. Uh, And they were the largest organized military unit that the colonial army had seen And because they weren't expecting anything, um, Washington was able to beat them with his uh, less conventional techniques. Um, And he proved two things. He proved in December 1776, he proved that his ragtag revolutionary army could stand up and defeat a organized European military organization was a huge morale boost for a country and a bunch of colonists who were going, I'm not sure we can carry this off. But it happened a year before Valley Forge. And in the interim in the interim year, uh, in battles fought mainly in what we today call Pennsylvania, Germantown and Brandywine, and then the loss of the colonial capital at Philadelphia in the summer um, and fall of 1776, drove Washington into a winter encampment in Valley Forge. And Valley Forge is really quite small. Uh, It's a very, um, it is a little valley. um, And I believe um, the Adirondacks, I I could be wrong, it could be the Shenandoahs. Um, No, it has to be the Adirondacks. But anyway, it's a small mountain a small valley in low mountains, um, and it offered some protection from the British, but not from the weather. And so it was a really tough winter, but it was also an opportunity for Washington to really train. He didn't have his troops weren't in the field. They were all in the same place. And so when they left Valley Forge, in, the, in June of 1778, they were for the first time a really well-organized, well-trained army instead of kind of a patchwork militia. Um, and, and they went to, uh, back to, through, through Pennsylvania up north to New Jersey again. You can see they're fighting these battles in a very narrow strip, between Philadelphia held by the British and New York held by the British at that time. So they fought a battle with Cornwallis in seventeen seventy eight at Monmouth, New Jersey. Now, Monmouth is familiar to me, but I'm not sure why. Um I think it may be I think it may be where, where one of Chris, Christie's houses is. You know, that could be the significance. But anyway, um, he did beat Cornwallis in 1778 in a very limited engagement in New Jersey. But Cornwallis was not defeated, sent packing at Yorktown till 1781, in October of 1781. So there is a way to go there. And then there's the Ramparts and Fort McHenry, etc. Actually, Fort McHenry, which is at the mouth of Baltimore Harbor, did not take place until September the four- 12th to September the 14th of 1814. So 30 year, 35 years later. And it was during the War of 1812 that a couple of other significant things happened. One— that was when the British actually invaded Washington, D.C., sacked part of the town, and, and at that point, as a seat of government, it was really more of a town, and actually set fire to the White House. And while the White House was not burnt to the ground, it was damaged. And the very famous Stuart painting of Washington, of George Washington that was hanging in the White House was the only thing that Dolly Madison um, took as she fled the White House, uh, with the British coming with their torches, so that's you know that's part of it, and and Francis Scott Key was a civilian taking refuge in the at Fort McHenry, where he witnessed the the battle that protected the Baltimore Harbor from a Brit from a British inva- uh, invading fleet, and he wrote a poem at the end of that two-day battle, when the flag was still flying over Fort McHenry. He wrote a, a poem that in 1931 was set to music and, and uh, established as the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem. And as to airports, well, both Philadelphia and Newark, um, which is the airport that services Trenton, um, Kitty Hawk, first-, first actual flight 1903 so about 124 years after cornwallis met his fate at yorktown the first use of military aircraft in a strategic way was not until the latter days of the first world war when uh, when the uh prior to that uh us and canadian young men um Looking for adventure, because this was really a European war at that time, World War I was not yet World war one um, but u s and Canadian youth with a yen for adventure started what would become the Army Air corps and it was they were a volunteer band called Lafayette's Escadrille, very colorful if you have never heard of it. Um, It's a great thing to Google uh, and learn a little about it. It was uh, very different from flying today. So Newark Airport does exist today. It was established in 1928 and it had delays of up to six hours yesterday. And don't ask me why I know that. I just do. Philadelphia, opened in 1925 as a National Guard training facility and is today Philadelphia International Airport. And Newark Airport, by the way, is not as, you know, people always say it's an ugly airport. They've actually done quite a bit of work lately. Um, It's not that bad, but the runways were shut down most of the day yesterday.
2: Uh, Another update, U.S. scored another goal, 2-0 over the Netherlands.
1: Uh, you keep giving us those updates. My, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna cross my fingers because that will jinx it. It's right. not over co- till it's over. Yeah,
2: a couple more goals, and I think you can cross your fingers. But we got to take a break.
1: Okay, we're gonna go take a break, and we'll be back with a little more about history and the White House.
0: Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy.
1: And we're back on this last day of the Fourth of July holiday. And we just went through a chronology of about a hundred, you know. From 1776, a couple hundred, about 225 years, um, that all got jumbled together in a single paragraph. So it leaves me asking a couple of questions that will lead us to the discussion of um, a a serv- uh, uh, the latest polling out um, and today. Um, of the president versus his potential Democratic um, opponents. So the question that I've got to ask, if you've ever been in the White House, by the way, it's much smaller than it appears on television, the rooms, but if you've ever been there, you kind of get a sense of the history, the majesty of this country, the history of this country in those rooms. So I don't know how you can live there and have, you know, such a casual acquaintance with um, basic American history. Um, I would have more understanding for a kid currently in high school um, making all those, jumbling all of that together because we now teach history in a very different way, um, more to make a current political socioeconomic point than to teach our kids how it really happened and what the positive as well as negative lessons of American history are. And it is is a mixed bag, but we'd be doing our kids a favor if we told them the facts. But I am concerned that the president has such a casual acquaintance with the fundamental founding. Of the United States and of technological history and in addition to that you have to rehearse the speech you're about to give you can't rely entirely on the technology or anything else you got to rely on yourself this is a president who's really great at going off the script when he wants to but this was a speech that was well timed it was timed for all the flyovers and so forth and rehearsing it practicing it multiple times might have avoided what we've just spent 12 minutes saying never happened i think it's it's just you if you're in the white house every time you give a speech your game's got to be upped you've got to be on cue on time um You've got to be the unifier and the celebrator in chief at a moment like the 4th of July, especially when you've inserted yourself into what has never been in Washington, a political figure event. In previous years, you've seen members of Congress, for example, or even a president out on the balcony watching the fireworks. But they're sitting in their lawn chairs and John Stamos is the master of ceremonies and the people come to hear the National Symphony and and see the fireworks. But the Washington Post added to the confusion with their numbers this week on what the parade cost. They well underestimated the actual cost of those flyovers. And let's have just a couple of examples of where the Washington Post was wrong. They said it cost $10,000 an hour for Navy F-22 to do a flyover over Washington, DC. And that was the way they did their math. Well, that was wrong. See, there were two of these F-22s. And the two F-22s flew from Lemoore, California, from the Central Valley of California to Washington and back to California. So that's eleven hours of flight time at at twenty thousand dollars an hour. So more than a quarter of a million bucks plus per diem for the two pilots. And I I I think the F twenty two is actually uh, more than one person; it's a two person crew. And then there was a hundred and forty four thousand dollar charge for an hour for a B one. Well, you know what that B one departed Missouri on the morning of the 4th of July, had to kind of land or circle or whatever to be in the right place at the right time to do their flyover, the Lincoln Memorial, and then they flew home. So here's the good news. At least those, those pilots and that crew, which is a pretty big crew, did not need hotels, um, and they got home maybe midnight, 1 o'clock, but they missed the 4th of July barbecue, they missed being with their families. So in total, um, the first figure we heard of $92 million for the cost of this total cost for of this parade is probably more accurate than the $3 million that the Washington Post quoted. And the bottom line, do you want the bottom line? Because you know me, I like the numbers. 25,000 people watched the president and the flyovers at the reflecting pool, and a quarter of a million, 250,000 were at the other end of the mall at the Capitol listening to the National Symphony Orchestra. As we go to break, lest you think I'm being mean to the president, I'm not. Um, I just like a traditional Fourth of July. You know, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about Nike's crazy Betsy Ross flag shoes.
0: You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host Joyce Cordy.
1: So, just be, just be, um, just be. I'm I'm sorry. I just got a text that is like, um. So crazy, I, I'm, I'm struggling to believe it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Nike, Nike, I don't understand putting Betsy Ross's pre uh, flag on a Nike shoe. I mean, I say that while wearing a T-shirt this morning emblazoned with an American flag, but the putting it on a shoe was a little much for me. But you know what, Betsy Ross was a Quaker. Betsy Ross opposed slavery in in every form and in every fiber of her colonial being. But the flag that she created was for the 13 separate colonies who had banded together to throw off the yoke of the British Parliament and their taxation uh, schemes. Okay, Um, and and and. Colin Kaepernick, who's an extremely well-educated guy, knows that. So sometimes you got to question when it's right to be woke and when it's not. So um, I think Nike should not have caved on that shoe. They might have won it because it was not a flag of the United States. It was not a flag that enshrined um uh, slaves as three fifths of a person, as did the United States Constitution in its original drafting. Okay, this was a flag of the colonies, and that was was political correctness run amuck, run amuck, as was as was six Tempe police officers who had gathered at a Starbucks on the 4th of July. These guys are working on the 4th of July. They're out there making sure your house, if you live in Tempe, doesn't burn down because one of your neighbors is shooting off illegal fireworks. They're out there in case there's an accident. They're out there in case there's a crime committed. They're risking their lives every single day. They stop for a cup of coffee, six of them. And the barista who actually knew a couple of them by name, asked them to leave because a customer felt uncomfortable with six cops having a cup of coffee in the same Starbucks that that person was in. I think it's time for Starbucks in Tempe to close and have a day of retraining about how you treat the people you depend on, first and foremost, to put their lives on the line in an emergency. Yes, there are bad cops, and we see um, video um, demonstrating that on TV. But 99.9% of those men and women, many of whom are veterans of the United States military, risk their lives every single day, and they're entitled to a cup of coffee, especially on the 4th of July, that they paid for. wasn't any freebie. Okay? Uh, in peace and harmony with the people they serve. Starbucks has apologized, more will come. Again, wokeness, political correctness, run amok. Unacceptable. And, you know, Starbucks needs to feel the pain of what they did. And so now let's talk for just a few minutes, because we don't have a lot of time left, about the Democratic primary debate. The first one has come and gone. They say there'll be another one now every month until the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary. I personally don't know if that's a promise. I think of it more as a threat.
2: Well, it's the exact opposite of the last go-round. The last go-round, there wasn't enough candidates, and there weren't enough debates, and they were trying to hide the debates. They were having them on, like, Saturday nights. And, And now we've got the other end of the spectrum. Now there's too many candidates and too many debates.
1: And you think putting them on a Wednesday night and a Thursday night on MSNBC is not trying to hide them?
2: Uh, not trying. No, 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 no. I'm talking about <laughs> no. They're definitely it's it's the opposite. I'm saying when Hillary and when it was just no, Hillary I, and I, Bernie, they were trying to. They they only had like three debates and they buried them. They, I, they were hiding them. This I, this is this is the exact opposite. They're well, not they, hiding these.
1: They're well, but but they were on MSNBC. Did you watch? I watched, but that was because I felt it was re- it was my professional responsibility. It wasn't like I thought it was a terrific debate. See, I did hate it, that did it format. Get like,
2: did it get like zero ratings? Like, it I, didn't
1: get great ratings.
2: Yeah, but people watched. People, people saw it. Enough people watched that Kamala Harris got a 10-point jump in the polls after it. it. Enough people watched.
1: But that polling... yeah, No, people didn't necessarily watch that. People watched excerpts on the news i you know anyway let we'll see next month what the ratings are but the democrats have refused to go on fox which i think is not um is not smart so but let's take a couple of minutes since we've only got a couple of minutes let's take a couple of minutes and talk about what i found absolutely astounding did you notice the magic and miraculous vanishing debt? You know, Congress is about to raise the debt ceiling. We're about, you know, rounding numbers, about 22 trillion dollars in debt. Okay? More than twice what um Obama inherited growing by almost a trillion dollars a year now, according to the Congressional Budget Office. So the Congressional Budget Office says that GDP at the end of the next decade, so within your and my lifetime, the national debt at the current rate will equal 93% of GDP. And I want to know how we're going to sustain a— world-class military and, um, and a uh, powerful social network when our debt is 93% of our gross domestic product. That's within a decade. Did you hear the word debt in that entire debate? Because I didn't. I want to know where that pot of gold, that pot of gold that they all said exists in the top 1% okay, the top 1% averages $10 million uh, in total wealth. The top 1%, if you confiscate everything they have, in other words, they wouldn't pay more more than 50% of the taxes in the United States okay, on an annual basis, right? If you confiscated everything, it's worth about $8 trillion. So it wouldn't even pay off half of the debt. But we think it's going to give everybody not just a chicken in their pot, as McKinley promised, but it's going to give everybody free, 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 free health, free this, free that. Which reminds me, the, mag- the magic of freeness reminds me of a poster that an old friend of mine when I first came to Silicon Valley had in his office. And it was a picture of a saucer, of a of a a kitten sitting in front of a saucer that was empty. In other words, like a milk saucer. And the saucer was empty. And the caption read, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. If you want to know what free means, if you're a college student and you want to know what what free tuition means or or free loans or loan forgiveness means to you today... Go to reimagineamerica.org. Um, I've written about this cu- couple, three times. And look at what it means for your future. You know, one thing that really, or, or the thing that pains me, maybe the reason I do this program, is we need facts. We need truth. We need leaders who are willing to be straight with us. No more of this pandering, and and separating and and stereotyping various special interest groups. It's like the Democrats never figured out they beat themselves in twenty sixteen. Most of us know that. And last but not least because Vince is gonna pull the plug on me here free this and free that to what end folks what's their vision where do they want to lead us where do they want this nation to be once again a shining city on the hill or the undisputed leader of a world a rules based world order and we can't get there on pandering We can only get there on honesty and unity and mutual self-sacrifice.
0: You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. So it looks like
2: the USA women have been victorious. They are the World Cup champions.
1: Yay!
2: 2 nothing final over the Netherlands.
1: 2 nothing final over the Netherlands. You go, girls. The next test is going to be, does the International Soccer Federation finally pay these women in the same way they pay the men?
2: Um, how do, what do you mean?
1: they're they're in arbitration um over the disparity between what the men's World Cup team and the women's World Cup team are paid and what the professional soccer players you know in in the league are paid whether they're men or women the disparity is
2: well do the women bring in as much revenue as the men
1: uh right now Nike is selling more um,
2: well, that's because the women's, women's World, e- that's because that, the women's World Cup is uh, happening uh, right
1: uh, now. They have never, ever in their history sold as much product of one team as they have of this World Cup women's team, and so equal pay, equal pay for equal work.
2: Okay, I'll have to fact check that. Speaking of fact checking, um, that Democrat debate. Day 1 took 15 million viewers in on MSNBC, NBC and Telemundo. Day 2, 18 million viewers tuned in and that was the record for the highest rated democratic matchup in Nielsen ratings history.
1: Well, I'm not surprised.
2: Wait, you just said that that nobody watched it. That nobody saw it.
1: A- 18 million people it's not necessarily people. It's 18 million DVRs.
2: Well, that's how we calculate the ratings.
1: Uh, we can debate whether 18 million in a country of, because remember, it's the same people, right? It's not. It it's 15 million people tuned in to see the first night. 18 million people tuned in for the second night. The the top card. Okay, anybody who thinks that draw was random is a fool. Um, so. 15 million watched the first night. The same 15 million watched the second night. And 3 million more tuned in to see Biden and company. So that's a very small percentage of the available vote. And most of those were Democrats. We didn't see a lot of independent and crossover voting. Because the result was today's latest polling shows shows that only Joe Biden would have a chance of beating Trump. In other words, 22 people, 20 people on that stage failed miserably as I said in the previous segment to to deliver a message of hope and unity to a country starving for both of those things. And we'll see you next week.
2: Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio.
0: This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.